fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And stress is an inevitable factor in your life and in the lives of the people in your organization. A fit, healthy team is an energized, effective team, but it is not enough to just tell your people what to do, you need to show them. If you want your people to have a better quality of life and a more rewarding career, then it is vital that you lead from the front. Your choices, your behaviors are in the spotlight. My name's Jay Unwin, it's time to get fit to lead. Welcome back to Fit to Lead with me, Jay Unwin. Today, my guest is trauma-informed coach Sasha Harper, and we'll be chatting about diversity and inclusion in the wellness space, staying fit and well with ADHD, and why polyvagal theory is just so damn exciting. Don't forget that on the first Wednesday of every month at 11am UK time, I run a free webinar called Level Up Your People. If you're interested in coming along, then you can head to fitbodyfitmind.online forward slash level up and get yourself registered. Hey Sasha, it is great to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm really good, thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I am extremely warm, like ridiculously warm. Like it's, my my office is in a loft room and my kids are outside in the garden. And so I've closed all the windows because they're noisy little buggers. And I've closed the windows (laughs) so so that it doesn't get recorded. And I am sweltering. It's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> so well, let's get straight into it because you know we've spent the last kind of twenty-five minutes trying to get the technological stuff sorted. Um, so for those of you listening, uh, Sasha has got some very snazzy headphones that she doesn't know how to work. Um, but Sasha, let's get straight into the the, the, the stuff, the the the, the real interesting stuff that people want to hear uh, and I'm going to start off with the same question that I used in every episode of my last series because it was a really nice way of getting to know someone's approach to kind of fitness and well-being and that is what does fitness mean to you and um, that's an amazing question actually I think my best way to answer that would be it is what I It's being fit enough, emotionally fit, physically fit, mentally fit enough to live the life that I want to live. And I think that question um, that you pose is a really powerful one and it is really open-ended because for me, what fitness um, has meant to me has rapidly changed over the years. Um, But yes, currently settling on that, that holistic, it's the all three I know you talk about the pillars a lot so it is looking at all of those pillars to essentially live the life that I want to that's great because it makes me feel like I'm you know speaking to the (laughs) speaking to the right person in in a lot of ways because that's as anyone who's listened to my stuff in the past or has kind of followed me on social media knows that my whole thing is fitness as a means to an end not an end itself and and the means um yeah so fitness is 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 the means and the end is usually a better quality of life and this is the thing which a lot of people get um they slip up on because they forget that they're doing it for a reason they forget what the what their why is and usually it's because they want to be happier for some in some way Mm. you know they want to have a better quality of life and therefore they want to be happier now 
often people on their fitness journeys, they end up making themselves quite miserable by, you know, buying into really restrictive dieting patterns or, uh, you know, workout programs that leave them injured and sore. Uh, and, you know, I've got nothing against, you know, getting sore from a workout now and again, but most people seem to think that it has to be all the time. And so they're making themselves unhappy in the pursuit of more happiness, which when you break it down seems kind of like, it seems a bit lost. And and it's mm. not the fault of the individual uh, by any stretch, but it's uh, it's very much the way the industry seems to be set up, and uh, it's it's very much on these kind of specific goals which people seem to adopt from other people and go, oh, this person did this, so I want to do it, and we, we all compare ourselves, don't we? And I still do it, but it's it's really interesting that more people these days are starting to remember that there is a reason beneath that. And I think, I mean, I might be biased because of because I'm only speaking from my experience and what I see online and in the conversations I have. But would you say that it seem, there seems to be a groundswell of uh, understanding around this kind of, as you called it, a holistic approach to well-being? Yeah. And if I'm understanding your question correctly, it's, are you saying that you're seeing more people taking this approach? So whatever, yeah. whether they're in the wellness industry or focusing on well-being, so the way I'm seeing it, and if, if uh, correct me if this is not what you meant, but I am seeing, say, if somebody has an individual passion on nutrition, they are still focusing on the pillars around you know wellness is not the, the the holy grail isn't one thing and i think I, I think it's it's becoming more and more clear that health practitioners what, what wherever they are in the well-being industry are showing that there are more sides than this one you know buy this pill do this diet it's all about the gut it's all about the aerobic it's all about the strength training you don't find many people who are still trying to push that i'm not saying that there aren't people out there or as you say maybe it's just the um the bubble uh, that i'm on in social media and what i'm seeing but it is those people taking that really holistic approach to well-being feeling well yeah, absolutely. And it, I think that, you know, as you were saying that, I started to realise that perhaps it is just the echo chamber that we're creating around ourselves on places like Instagram <laughs> and things like that. Because if someone was promoting a very one-sided viewpoint on fitness and well-being, I'll be honest, I probably won't be following them. And <laughs> therefore, I've probably yeah. got a, uh, yeah, maybe a... a I've curated my feed to a degree, but it does seem also outside of social media, the conversations that I'm having, it just does seem to be not just in practitioners either, but in terms of the general public seem to be starting to understand more that fitness is a very fluid and a very personal thing. And what is one person's holy grail, to use your term, is not going to be the same as another's. Now, I got caught up in other people's goals a lot of the time um, prior mm. to being in the fitness industry. And when I was early on in the fitness industry, you know, I wanted to look like the my peers uh, who were all kind of fitness model backgrounds or bodybuilding backgrounds. So I was like, why don't I look like this? I don't look like a personal trainer. Um, and as I've kind of grown through the last decade, and started understanding that fitness is is more than just a six pack and guns. Um, mm. it, it's it's kind of allowed me to approach what I do and approach my habits and approach my behaviours and approach my 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 values and my beliefs around that in a, co a completely different way. And it makes me feel a lot less 
um, alienated and a lot less kind of stressed about fitting in than perhaps I did seven, eight, nine years ago. Yeah, I can really relate to that. And as you were talking, I mean, I was concentrating, obviously, but I was reflecting on um, what it meant to me at those stages. And I think for a a big part of my 20s, because I, I did a lot of sport growing up, and then it kind of just, as soon as I went to university, that that stopped. And I know we're not just focusing on fitness on sport, but this is where I said my evolution of fitness. Fitness to me was sport. Yeah. At that school, there was there was that no um, real focus on um, mental and physical health like that. That just uh, sorry, mental and emotional health. They they weren't focuses. And then when I went to university, I kind of was in the. Um, barfly category so I actually then started to reject the idea of fitness I actually built an identity which is I'm not a fitness person I'm not a yoga person and really starting to unpick why that was the case it was because I lived in so much chaos mental chaos that I couldn't um I couldn't relate to what was perceived as fitness um because well we're looking almost you know 15 15 years ago now at this time and I do think in the mainstream whether it's on tv film actual adverts fitness was still kind of like one dimensional in terms of you know it's an ideal body it's not about health it's about an image um but again might have been my perception of what I saw at the time but yeah I I kind of like rejected from that and so I kind of like tried to overcorrect the other way and being like I'm not interested in all that stuff but then my physical health massively started to deteriorate and it was only in the last five seven years that I've been on this journey and whether I've been looking at um my physical health in terms of illness rather than at fitness um and because I suffered from a lot of autoimmune issues and it's been, you know, a, a really interesting journey looking through each of those different pillars that you talk about um, to, to getting a better, more meaningful relationship with fitness. So I used to perceive fitness as somebody wearing and having the right gear. You know, you just talked about guns and abs. Like mine was people who had similar size physiques wearing particular types of running outfits and like I didn't own them I didn't want to spend my money on that and now for me the fitness like physical side of fitness I can still build into my day with whatever I'm wearing it's mindful movement it's moving my body it's changing things up it's yeah it's 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 bringing it into the now and I think I picked up on something you said earlier about this idea of people are making themselves miserable for this concept in the future and as you said it's not a fault on the individual it's this I think we're we're chronically living out of the present you know Mm. as a society and this idea is okay so what what's the point in doing any of this fitness like what is the point of of doing any of what we've we've kind of touched on already and it's to have a better now yeah yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's not about the future. No, and I think it's it's a combination of things, isn't it? Because it's like the the past exists, the future exists in it kind of esoteric. Esoteric is probably not the right word. <laughs> I've just realised I use words that I don't really know what they mean. Um, but it's kind of it's not. Same. Yeah, <laughs> I like to I like to use long words that I don't understand to make myself sound more photosynthesis. Um, the, <laughs> although. 
stupidly enough, I obviously do know what that word means, given that I used to be a science teacher. Yes. So, but I was making yeah. a point. Anyway, let's not go off on a tangent, Sash, because we know where this will end. Um, yeah. The the future is is something that we need to be aware of. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there's this kind of knee-jerk, and this is something which I keep coming up, uh, keep bringing up in conversations that I have either, you know, recorded conversations or otherwise, where everything seems to be a knee-jerk pendulum swing reaction to something which is deemed not good. And then it suddenly goes, well, if that's not good, then the exact opposite must be good. Mm. And that's not necessarily the case. In fact, I would argue that that's almost never the case. Um, because what you'll what you'll find is that going from one extreme to the opposite extreme is is uh, is not a kind of balanced or healthy way to go about things. Because what you'll end up doing, I mean, we live in a very polarized world, right? We live in a in a world where it's like if you don't, if you're not with me, you're against me, kind of attitude, and it's like it, it can be quite difficult to operate within that for any human being because we're not used to the kind of polarities that, that that we've got these days from a societal perspective. And um, I think that if you go, for example, if you went, right, I've been told that doing all cardio is not good and that you should be more, uh, I guess, varied with your training and therefore you should, um, you should include other things and doing all cardio isn't good. Whereas before, you know, people would just be, they, they're runners and they're doing loads of running. It's like, yeah, if you just do running and nothing else, you're going to end up injured and this, that and the other. It's like, cool. Hmm. So cardio is bad. Strength training's good. So now I'm just going to do strength training. And it's like, nah, that's not how this works. Just because something isn't optimal doesn't mean the exact opposite is. There's a, there's a huge spectrum on 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 all of this stuff, and I think that, I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Sasha. I can't remember why I started going off on this tangent, but <laughs> <laughs> that anyone who's listened to any of my first series of podcasts will know that this happens. Um, but the, the the idea of the future, these, yeah, the idea of the future, and I mean that is a thing, and we do need to. It, yes, it's not good to live entirely in the future, but we do need mm. to be aware of it because living entirely yeah. in the present often can result in some quite catastrophic stuff further down the line, right? Because you've you mm. maybe you've spent all of your money because you weren't thinking about the future, yeah. and then suddenly you've, you you're living in poverty, um, and and so. It's not that it's not that the future and considering the future is a bad thing. It's that only considering the future is a bad thing. Yeah. And to, and like you said, we're chronically out of the present. We're not living in the present at all. And it's not saying that okay, the solution to that is to live in the present all the time. But it's to live in the present more than you have been up until now. Hey, we got back there. We came full circle, and that was relevant. Thanks for reminding me. No, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And obviously, I mean, I'm guessing your listeners know that you're ADHD. Some will, you know? some won't. I've brought it up on a few occasions, way. but yeah, when it's relevant. Okay. Um, well, hopefully it's, it may seem relevant in, in this situation because it was really interesting about you talking about extremes then. And if you're living too much in the present... Uh, versus the future and as somebody who lived with undiagnosed ADHD for 33 years I definitely lived in those being governed by 
internal beliefs being governed by internal sensations or impulses, as you said. And that can appear to be focusing in the present. It's all about now. What do I want now? Now, 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 now. What's going to make me feel better now? And it's my understanding that living in the present is closer to what I'm doing now, which is a completely different feeling. It's being consciously aware of all your thoughts and feelings and making a considered decision about the now and being grounding somehow and when making a decision. Um, So yeah, I just think it's incredibly important what you're saying about that balance. It's not too far in the future. It's not all about the impulse and and, and, and what, what do I want now? Um, you know, that's why it's a struggle sometimes when you see a lot of the YOLO people. Do people even say mm-hmm. YOLO anymore? Is, is that, that like a thing still? Years is ago? that still on? <laughs> I don't think so. But there, there is a lot of, um, there is still a, um, a narrative around that, which is, oh, you only live once, all of these people banging on, you should, can't have this, you can't have this, you shouldn't have this. Oh, why can't we just live our lives? And whilst there's an element of truth in that, it still feels like that narrative itself is pulling you out of, you know, just having a healthier, happier existence. Yeah, and there's you can be... I, I think one of the biggest things that reduces our happiness, and again, happiness is a term which is kind of bandied around a lot. And again, it's such a vague term. And I think people mm. confuse happiness with joy and pleasure. I think I think people confuse mm. happiness with pleasure. And so when we're looking to live a happier life, we're often looking for pleasure. And that's that distraction mm. that you were talking about where you're like, what can I do right now to make myself feel better? And it's an avoidance of of stuff that's yeah. hard, right? Because shit is hard sometimes. Like it, it, life is not easy. And we've almost been conditioned to think that the, the goal is an easy life. The goal is a life which is... Um, devoid of challenge and devoid of adversity because then you can just lie on the beach sipping your cocktail and all the rest of it right and and that's but that's what that's what sells us the stuff that we don't really need and that's what sells stuff I mean we talk about the fitness industry and the way things were and uh, the way things still are in a lot of ways when it's like um, look this way buy this gear you need this you need that you need the other in order to be fit and healthy when in actual fact it's a lot more kind of basic than that usually at the mm. at the most fundamental level you don't need you know your your shiny moisture wicking fabrics and stuff like that it's like just wear a t-shirt and go and move like that's it like um so the kind of desire for pleasure which has taken the place of the desire for kind of meaning and contentment is uh mm. is is essentially a a marketing tool not a specific marketing tool it's a marketing tool that is just pervasive through every every possible industry and the fitness industry just happens to be terrible for it or technology is as well though because it's like hey buy the shiny new phone and you'll feel happy for 20 minutes um and i think that really if we looked at happiness as a more balanced content um the word i love is eutemia which is like a, a a a greek word meaning um uh, it's a good good mood good wellness it just means mm. balanced i'm okay and, it, and and that to me kind of conjures up this image of uh knowing that adversity and stress and challenge is inevitable 
not only inevitable, but it's necessary because that's how we develop. We need these challenges. But being okay with that and that kind of thing of life's not always good. Life's sometimes fucking horrible, but that's okay. And that's a different Mm. kind of happiness. It's a happiness on a much more kind of... you can. You, it's very difficult to be steered off that once you're on it because yeah. anything you're blindsided by, any spanner in the works in your life, you don't go, "Oh my god, this is the worst thing ever," and it's the end of the world. But you also don't go, "I'm going to stick my, I'm going to stick my head in the sand and pretend nothing's happened and find a source of pleasure as an avoidance strategy." And I think yeah. that, I think that, I again, I think more people are becoming aware of this. And they're kind of pushing back a bit. And I find it really interesting, given the kind of generation that we're a part of, to see this shift. Because as we grew up, it was very kind of previous generations. If you look at kind of the the 80s and stuff, when we were born, the society was very consumerist and it was really becoming consumerist from kind of the post-war era Mm. throughout. And the generation that are coming through now... And I noticed this in the kids, my kids are in primary school and I noticed it in the teenagers and stuff like that as well, that they're rejecting a lot of what we have taken as gospel for a long time. There seems to be a more, mm, I don't like the way this is set up kind of vibe. And I find that really quite exciting and to see what kind of changes this will come about because more and more companies are having to go, well, people aren't going to buy our stuff just because we tell them it will make them feel happy. They're more switched on now. Um, that's the impression again that I get I don't know whether that's something that you've kind of experienced well massively and you know um, I'm also an ex-science teacher and this is not how we know each other but I don't think it's um, a coincidence that both of us have found more of that contentment more of that um, you know balance in our lives by moving more towards this you know wellness industry because when we were at school and when I was teaching at school it was such a prescriptive culture of what success looked like and yes you had your PSE lessons yes you had your PE lessons but it was all very different boxes and as you said I'm delighted delighted that the Zoomers are like nah not for us I think if they've grown up saturated with conflicting messages from such a young age from the internet and social media and just the world being available in the phone 24-7 there there is only a certain amount a human being can take before they start questioning it so um I hope it's a really positive step for them. But ultimately, it is that idea of, you know, how how do we get this contentment? You know, as we say, there's people who are trying to sell you the Holy Grail. There's people who are trying to preach it to you because they've had their epiphanies. They've had their life change and they want to share it with people. And whether it's good meaning or not, um, depending on how they go about it, is whether it's received well for other individuals. But ultimately, I think one of the best ways to see where you are on that contentment scale is check out your values. People don't have, people don't, have many opportunities to really sit down and say, what are my values? Something I had to do explicitly at the age of 31 when I did CBT um, 
And while CBT as a therapy wasn't actually very useful for me, the most useful thing to come out of it was sitting there and doing a values compass because it was the first time that I really thought, okay, what are my values and how does my life that I have lived, this very prescriptive life I came out of academia, university, into teaching, back back into university, back into teaching. And I was incredibly ill, incredibly miserable. And it was kind of looking at this, these values. And it, that's something that I've taken with me. And I really hope that the education system, as you say, you know, the younger kids and hopefully the systems um, will not be able to, you know, resist that change. But for a human being to be able to sit there, like, what are my values? It's not what's, you can still hunt for a good job, if that's what, you know, whatever the like inverted commas, good job, successful, you can still hunt for those things and look for them and go for them. As you say, stress challenge, it's not all meant to be like, what are my values? And as you say, lying on the beach with an Insta cocktail or what, whatever that, that, that is, you know, meeting life, um, through a set point of regulation rather than dysregulation, I feel like is, is the ultimate goal. And Joseph Campbell said, every feeling fully felt is bliss and it's not something that we're allowed to do you talk about um sorry you spoke about the the impulse and like oh that that that's pleasure seeking but that pleasure seeking is usually as you exactly as you said like that avoidant thing we, we don't get to just sit with our feelings we don't just get to sit with our reality and when we do we can start to see whether we're in alignment, if we're going to have more of that, you know, baseline of contentness um, compared to this, like rushing and buying the next thing and trying the next thing in that, you know, eternal pursuit of happiness, essentially. It is a really fascinating kind of topic. And it is, it's such a personal thing as well. When it, when you look at varying people and how, how varied uh, kind of society is, and I think it's becoming more and more, um overt in terms of how varied society is i think it's more evident now than it has ever been before that the differences between individuals are quite vast and i think mm-hmm. that i think that that's um it's really is a quite fascinating time to be alive really because when you look at the kind of social norms that have been um, i mean this is something that i wanted to chat to you about anyway which we'll come on to in a moment um about kind of diversity uh, within the fitness and well-being industries and things like that but it's becoming more and more and more um not just talked about but shown and some of it yeah, kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth because it's like again it's used as a marketing tool but mm. at the same time there is if the outcome is that there's more diversity and there's more inclusion and people feel represented within an industry which seemed previously inaccessible to them i mean an example i'll use yeah. here is um is things like disabilities now the the fitness industry and the wellness industry it's just a different term for the same thing that sounds a bit more mm-hmm. hippie-ish and I know that you and I both kind of work in this sphere and and uh, and all the rest of it. Now, I'm, I work, I've been in the fitness industry for nine years and I'm, uh, there's a lot that I don't like about it. Even even though I choose to work in it, there's a lot of things which are broken within it. Um, I love the industry, but I hate it at the same time. There's a lot of, you know, it's a weird kind of dynamic for me. Uh, and there've been points where I've wanted to leave entirely. And uh, it's a very white, able-bodied uh, mm-hmm. middle class industry like for the most part and yeah. yes 
now there's more demand for representation. Companies mm. are doing that. And yes, those companies, the, the whole point of a business, the whole point of a company is to make profit. That is why they exist, right? That's how we live in a capitalist, consumerist society. And we're not going to go down this rabbit hole, I promise, uh, of, of re, rebuilding kind of the structure of society from the ground up. But these companies want to make a profit, right? They've got to make enough money to pay their staff. They want to grow. They want to create profit for their shareholders. There is an economic and financial goal behind this. And so part of me, when these companies are using, um, they're, they're representing different ethnic uh, kind of groups that weren't represented before. They're representing people who aren't um, aren't able-bodied or middle class or all of these kind of things. I'm thinking, I know they're doing this because they're trying to sell a product. And that bugs mm. me. But at the same time, there are going to be people feeling re- represented who weren't feeling that before. And so it's, again, it's like, yeah, the system isn't perfect, but at least at least those floodgates are starting to open a little bit and we're seeing more of that. And obviously this ties in with, with you know, a conversation that we had on Instagram recently because you sent me, you know, you shared a post of mine and you got a message from someone and you shared with me what that message was. Um, and I'd like to touch on that as well. But it's, it, it's, it is an interesting time to be alive. And I think that's the, you know, that's really the point that I was trying to make is that what was previously considered... Uh, normal is changing because of that realization that not everyone is the same, not yeah. the, and therefore the answer for everyone, you know. And when I say the answer, the question is different for everyone, you know. The goal is different for everyone, and then the answers therefore are different. There's no one size fits all, um, and that's not just within the industry; that's within society as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> I like the phrase you're using. It's a really interesting time to be alive for our age group, our ethnicity, our social economic group, which I assume that we share. Um, it is because we were the ones that were previously marketed to. We were the ones who would previously be in that, um, quote, normal Bracket. But I think it touches on exactly what you said. Um, the nuclear 2.4 children family is market toable. Yeah. So yeah. the resistance to accept the diversity that has always been there is because you can't, it's, it's, it's a lack of control. Yeah. And that control has then been given, oh, sorry, not been given, it's been taken back by the people more. And you're right. I think for our age group, if we see something and it doesn't sit right with us because it feels like it's an exploitive, you know, approach, it's going to be icky. However, uh, it's kind of the cost-benefit analysis to the kids who aren't used to change and they're just used to seeing those things as they are. It's normalized. And that's that's ultimately the goal. So going back to what you said, like it's an interesting time to be alive. It's interesting to see that change. We're of an age group where we had the playing out without the phones. We had, you know, um, all genders in cycling shorts and baggy t-shirts in the 90s yeah. and just running around. And, and we all had bowl heads, bowl haircuts. And, <laughs> and, and we allow, were allowed to have a childhood that wasn't, you know, I see seven-year-olds with hands on their hips and shoulders in a particular way, which is meant to look, you look skinny. And they've you know, they're not, hopefully they're not consciously aware that they're trying to put them themselves in a, you know, more favorable 
um, pose. But when you, when you see it as, as how it's like, you know, the trickle down from, from how um, women are portrayed in, in media and, and, and things like that, it's, it's a really, as I go back to our saying, our generation, we had let's go knock on each other's houses because we didn't have this constant connected. We actually had to choose whether the phone was plugged in or we were on MSN with each other. You know, we, we've gone through a shift and I think it's a, a really interesting one, as you said, to watch this change. And, um, you know, the wellness are going back to what's missing in the wellness industry. It's yeah, it's, it's horrifically, um, white middle-class cis, you know, oriented and, and it will take time to change. And I think it's always, it's about, I don't ever preach to know the answer because I don't know the answer because as, as you said, there's no one size fits all. And what is inclusive and supportive for, um, one individual may not be for another one. Um, you know, it's just about keeping that conversation going. And the same as you, I love the industry I'm in for a certain amount of reasons. And then I feel incredibly stuck because I don't know how to navigate um, the industry that fully matches my values around diversity and inclusion. One of my first posts that I put on my um, my coaching page was around saying the wellness industry, I can't remember the quote, is, you know, geared to white, cis, middle-class women, you know, or, and I put women on that one because I, I had a particular focus and then I even said, you know, there are certain people who won't be able to access my services and that, that freaking sucks. Yeah. You know, there's a, there, there's a financial barrier there. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to build a, a life and a business that marries that. So I'm trying to link up with my ADHD page and I'm putting on anything that I do via my ADHD page. They're going to be free, you know, that that's to that community and they're going to be free. But unfortunately I have to, you know, have a business and I have to have, um, paid things f for the other side of it. You know, one of the, the small things that in my intake form, I ask for people's pronouns and I ask right off the bat if there are any access requirements that I need to know straight off the bat. Yeah. And if someone brings something to me, I can have that conversation with them straight away. I don't make assumptions. It's having having that conversation at the front of change because I'm not going to be doing everything right. I am absolutely not. Yeah. But I am willing to have those conversations to go in a better direction at every moment and I think that's that's the best I can do I think it's the best we can all do and this is you know when when you sent me the uh the voice note the other day and just for anyone listening the the kind of um the general gist of it was I'd shared a post which was designed to highlight the difference between losing body fat and being healthy now the reason I'd done this post was and it's you know it's too big a topic to to fit into a single post anyway but the reason i put this post up was to highlight the di that those two are two different things so people looking to be as lean mm. as possible and people looking to be well are not the same thing and the reason i was putting this up is because that's still a conf conflation it's is that a word um it's still something that people conflate uh, as weight loss equals health and so i was i was putting in a very basic way um 
kind of separating the two out and saying they're two separate things. And if you want to lose body fat and that is your primary goal, cool, it's your body. I really don't care. Mm. Like that's, it's, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, but if your goal is general well-being and kind of quality of life and energy and da 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 da, da the things that you sh- the things that are most beneficial to that from a science perspective again you know from an evidence-based perspective these are the kind of things which help and these are the kind of things which uh which you would do for fat loss alone and uh and so that was the post some of the people listening to this may have seen the post now, I think it illustrated that pretty well. Uh, there's maybe, uh, since the message that you sent, there was a couple of things that I might have changed. There was one which um, uh, there was one which was saying about walking, for example, and that's obviously not accessible to everyone. And it said walking and staying active. Um, I think if I'd worded that one differently where it was just mm. about staying active rather than specifically walking, it would have been more accessible to more people. Uh, but again, obviously, I was writing it with from my perspective and from me and my life and and uh, you know there's certain things which aren't accessible to me as i have fibromyalgia um there's certain things which i can and can't do um i I am kind of coming to terms with the fact that i'm technically disabled on in that sense uh which isn't an easy kind of adjustment for me to make coming from the background of being someone who's very physically active uh and i can no longer be that way so i was but that because it's still accessible to me that's just the way my mind works and i understand from that from that message um and again for anyone listening the message was that there were certain things which came from a position of white privilege uh ableism and fat phobia uh even in the kind of side that wasn't about the 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 weight loss um now my initial response to that was feeling defensive because i knew the point that i was trying to get across and I knew that my post made that point. And mm. I thought, basically, I was annoyed that um, someone uh, kind of called out my post on these things. Um, that very quickly subsided into a kind of, okay, what can I learn from this? Now, I'm not going to change my beliefs based on one person's opinions on the internet. Mm-hmm. That's something that's just not what I'm about at all. However, I'm interested in people's opinions. I'm interested. I'm th- there's always opportunities to learn. There's always opportunities to go, right, well, why is this the case? What could I have said differently? Um, where are my blinkers on? And where can I remove them? And how can I kind of open this up a little bit more? And you just said just now, I'm not always going to be right, but I'm always mm-hmm. willing to have that conversation. And I think that's something that's that's really vital. And I think that we're we're so conditioned to want to be right and this is where the opinionated, polarised society that we live in now comes from, is because people want to latch onto something that they know is fundamentally and objectively true. Mm. Unfortunately, there is very, very little <laughs> that is fundamentally and objectively true because uh, there are certain things which which are, and I'm a very evidence-based person, Um I mean, we'll take the thing you, you you know talking about gender and things like that. You know, some people are just like, no, there's two genders, and they just mm-hmm. latch onto that because they need it. Because if they admit that something that they have believed for a long time might not be true, then they go, well, what else do I believe that's not true? And they have a, a, a whole crisis of identity, um, and so they latch onto these these external things as a kind of part of their identity, and. 
it's it's yeah it's a really interesting one i mean all of this you you're never gonna you're never gonna have everything right and i think that if we can let go of our ego to a degree where we go actually i know very little then we can be open to the conversations and i think that people on the on the other side uh who are doing the educating in these areas which we haven't been educated in before Hmm. if they come at it with again the same openness um and i understand that there's a need for militancy in certain places i understand that i'm in no means anti civil unrest let's say and i i I think that there's a necessity for forcing change in certain ways but in terms of everyday conversations between two people the understanding that yeah people are going to be getting this wrong all the time people are going to constantly be getting this wrong and and that's okay too um it just requires that kind of conversation and and i think that it seems to be that these conversations are the space for these conversations is more opened up now than it ever has been before um and i think the fitness industry is a a really a kind of a, a cool place to see these changes happening and to see more um kind of disabled fitness influencers and trans and um you know people from all different kind of backgrounds socioeconomic backgrounds ethnic backgrounds and stuff like that coming to the fore and having their voices amplified by people who've already got um maybe large followings people who are in a position where they've um they can use their privilege to of their position that's already in the industry to amplify the voices of other people and share their stuff and share their stories um and it seems more and more people are willing to do that as well yeah and i I think it was i what i really loved about what you shared is the fact that you got defensive first now um the work i do is like working with beliefs in the nervous system and you know how how do they show up and get in the way of what we want to do and it's it's really freaking beautiful that you have said initially i'd put something out it had a purpose it had this you know there was there was something about you being challenged and therefore you were um, being defensive but you let that subside and go okay what can i learn where are my values you know you've got your um perception which is okay i'm not going to let one person's opinion change everything however what's valid what can i do what can i learn and and you take that forward from your own um i'm trying to like say the word law but I don't mean that it's like from your own value system your own yeah whatever I'm sure they get what I mean um so I forgot my point oh yeah being <laughs> <This disabled>. is... <laughs> me and you having so... a conversation should not be allowed because neither of us have a clue what's going on at this point but going back to disability like like you saying um with your fibromyalgia you accepting that you are technically disabled now i i don't know the technicalities um, around that i'm reflecting your words back to you but in the uk adhd is a disability and i've really struggled to accept that i'm disabled however when i look at my approaches to fitness and when i've or fitness and well-being the limitations of especially being undiagnosed adhd and what i felt i could and couldn't do and what i could and couldn't access um was 
it was, I would have loved to have had somebody who maybe was labeled ADHD or maybe as just <laughs> expressed themselves as, you know, familiar of the chaos that I, I lived in. And I am using the term lived because it's a different type of chaos now. It's a shiny, bubbly, fun kind of ride chaos where it used to be kind of like a dark, scary, changeable chaos. And um, ultimately, I think I would have um, really valued seeing how my life and fitness and well-being could have fit into that maybe chaotic model a bit earlier on. However, we are where we are and I have had those influences and I have had... Um, you know, as you say, I can see in so many spaces, so many different people approaching wellness and fitness that suits them. And it's incredibly empowering to go, okay, this is what fits me. I can find mine. One of the things we've massively lost is autonomy. That autonomy to to, to try new things. And even if we're going back to getting things wrong, how about we try and do better and allow people to tell us if we're fucking up and we can allow them to tell whether we agree with them if we're fucking up or not. Yeah. yeah. And I'm having that conversation and yeah, just, just allowing us all to just be ourselves, do the best we can and try and move forward collectively for the good of the collective. It's that hyper-individualist kind of um, approach, which I think, again, we were talking about kind of the uh, the last kind of maybe 50 years or something like that, um, which obviously I don't have experience of, uh, 15 of those prior to being born. But the, um, the past 50 years, I'm fascinated by, you know, society and history and stuff like that. And I try and read and learn from you know stuff that's gone on and stuff which is changing and the, the kind of historical aspects of of what underpins um you know the society we have now um and so it seems that it get it, the life has gotten more and more individualistic and it's all about you know I'm all right jack and um and it's become less collectivist now again it's not that one or the other is right it's not like being hyper individualist is right or you know if if hyper individualism is 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 wrong, then collectivism at the other extreme, where it's only about the collective and not about yourself, must be right. No, no, probably both are fucking wrong, right? Because they're extremes. Yeah. You need to look at the collective and you need to look at yourself as a unit within the collective. And and yeah. so yeah, it's all about that middle ground. The truth is always 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 in the middle somewhere. Maybe closer to one side or the other, but it's it's. It's always somewhere in that grey area, um, at least in my experience. I could be completely wrong. But the, I think one of the things that we've lost is that, I mean, you know, you're talking about autonomy. Uh, another thing we've lost is, uh, is subtlety and nuance and this understanding mm. of um, the grey area. And there is, no, there is no nuance anymore. There is, I'm right, you're wrong, and we're going to fight about it. And, I, I, you know, I don't... I don't think that when we disagree, we have to disagree so with so much vitriol and hatred. Um, again, there's a place for anger, and there is a place. There are there are there are people with viewpoints so extreme that maybe they they require the kind of a, a, an almost not physically violent, but a, a an emotionally violent um, kind of rebuttal, and and mm. and. I think there's place for that too, you know, everything in moderation, including moderation. Sometimes extremes are yeah. 
useful. And but I think the thing is now is that it's very difficult for people to have a civil conversation from opposing viewpoints. And then one of the mm. one of the great examples of this not being a completely lost art is listening to Jordan Peterson having a conversation with Russell Brand on Russell Brand's podcast, because. I mean, from a sociological perspective, the, these are two two blokes. Yes, they're both white. Yes, they're both. I mean, I know Russell Brand's from a working class background, um, but but he's obviously privileged in a lot of other ways these days. So it's two white male uh, people having this conversation. They're coming from their from their own positions, but but from a from a viewpoint, they're very very opposing, and yet they could have a discussion which was like so refreshing to me to hear and I'm not gonna like like I said I'm not gonna change my opinions and change my beliefs and change my values based on one person but those each of those kind of inputs there is something to learn from uh, if I changed my viewpoint every time someone countered what I'd said I would be flip-flopping between a kind of um, far-right neo-nazi who's pulled me up on um, you know my kind of left-wing political and sociological views uh i'd be like oh no you're right yeah you're right absolutely migration uh, immigration should be banned and britain for the british and all of this kind of stuff in the same way as if i listened to someone else who was on the other side of things and had it was the polar opposite of that uh, but called me out on something else i'm not going to suddenly just adopt their worldview However, I will listen to both sides of that and go, okay, this is interesting. Where do these views come from? Which have merit? Which don't? Which can, which can I assimilate? Yeah. Which fit with my existing worldview and my values towards other human beings and towards, you know, other things like the environment and society and myself and all of this stuff and, and, and see how that can fit within it. But I'll have a conversation and I, believe me, sometimes I really don't want to have a conversation and sometimes I won't because I need to, you know, I've only got so much energy and I've only got so many. Mm. I don't think we can fight every battle. I really don't. I really don't think I'd love to fight every kind of social battle that's going on. But I've got a finite resource to play with, as has every other person. And some people have more resources than others and some people don't. But you cannot fight every single battle. You've got to pick your battles. And so just because I'm not yeah. actively posting about racism for example doesn't mean that i'm not anti-racism it's that there's there's only so much you've got to pick the battles and for me my my primary mission is about fitness well-being and quality of life now i can include amplifying voices of like people who don't normally get amplified or not as much i can do that as part of it but that's like weaving it through as a thread rather than bolting it onto the end and going, right, I'm anti-racist now. And so I'm going to post all about that. I'm going to go, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that value and I'm going to weave it through my existing mission. And I'm going to find ways of bringing more um, uh, racially diverse voices into my own curated social media feeds so that I'm learning from their mm. stories uh, but then also inviting people on to have conversations with me on the podcast and stuff like that. That that's my way of doing things, and some people will agree with that, some people won't. And 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 I think we've got to be okay with some people not thinking that we're we're doing the right thing. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I, I love what you say about it, it. It's threading everything through. We can't fight every battle. And I think that's um, a struggle that we're having as individuals, as part of a society, which is 100% connected 100% of the time through these magical phone portals. We get to see the, the, the whole um, the whole human suffering um, mm, yeah. at the touch of a button. And I don't know if we're, I don't think we are very well equipped to deal with that. And I think a lot of people are starting no. to reject their phones by having, you know, I know you have a phone bedtime. I've been having, I've been trying to do that. I haven't put the phone away at a certain time. But like, if we're looking at activism through um, a polyvagal theory lens, it's a really, really interesting lens to look at it through because do you know much about polyvagal theory? I have done one thing since you brought this up in another conversation that we had and that is <laughs> and that is wrote polyvagal theory into google and opened the wikipedia page read the first Wonderful. two lines and went oh yeah this th- i th- this ties in with some of the stuff that that i've uh, kind of um kind of my processes and my understanding and that's where i left it sasha i'm sorry <laughs> like i'm no, not no, it's anything fine, else because no, it's just because like I was ever just... But anyway, I'm going to send you a link to this because it's a really cool resource. But if we're just looking at the basic um, autonomic ladder, like our nervous system has evolved to be in certain states at certain times. But if we're looking at activism, so we've got our dorsal state, which is kind of like our reptilian, I'm going to preserve myself by staying still, ah, can't see me, hiding hiding, and not yep. moving, preserving resources. And that's actually where um, procrastination, depression, and low mood and feeling hopeless can actually live yep. when we're in that state, when that, that is activated. And then we've got our fight or flight, um, you know, our basically our fight or flight if we're under threat do we fight do we run we're in a very that activated state that's where stress and anxiety also live and then you've got your ventral which is social it's connected and even if it's is it on this one i can't see it but it's it's something to do with being able to see um somebody else's worldview okay like when you're in the other two it's very difficult to see somebody else's worldview so when we're looking at activism through the lens of polyvagal theory now this is the problem there is justification as you said to be viscerally angry about how people are treated and the level of oppression and exclusion and just just grim systematic crap I can't even use the word crap because that does not do it justice. It's worse than crap. Um, I forgot my point. Oh, yeah. So we there's absolute justification to be activated in that fight or flight. But what we have to be able to do is be in what's called a blended state, which is actually have our ventral vagal part of our nervous system online when we're having those conversations. And I'm pretty sure, I haven't heard the um, interview that you're talking about with Russell Brand and Jordan Peterson, but I'm pretty much guessing that those two people have what's called being anchored into their ventral, their, their ventral nervous system is online, but they're, you know, they might be slightly activated. They might be passionate. This is where passion can come from. This is where excitement can come from. When our ventral vagal is online with our sympathetic system. I don't even know if I called it the sympathetic one. Sorry, this, I'm not trying to teach people polyvagal theory because I'm not doing a good job. Um, no, but I'm it's, just no, trying it's, to say that... 
it's really interesting and it is it is relevant and it is like i mean we're, we're off on we're kind of outside the bounds of i guess the what pe- most people would consider to be um fitness and well-being but uh, you know most of most of what i'm most of the people that i'm trying to speak to with with this podcast especially now i've moved more into kind of corporate well-being s- sphere and working with companies and organizations is that yeah. is is not just the individuals who are listening to this and going oh actually i can adopt some of these things that i'm learning about in order to manage my stress better because because this is relevant to that this is this is yeah. hyper relevant to that because stress mm. you know as i always say fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress and one of these one of these forms of stress is being able to um see this stuff that is going on that makes us stressed and angry and and be, but be able to manage that and cope with it and and uh, and use it effectively if we want to or mm-hmm. let it go if we don't want to use it and and so what you're talking about is vital for that now if it's if 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 someone's listening to this and they're they're a leader within a company or an organization um they're an hr director chief people officer or they're a ceo or managing director but essentially they're at the position of of leading uh, a group of people it's vital to understand that as well because within that group of people you are going to get differing opinions you're going to get differing experiences mm-hmm. and stuff like that and in order to keep your people well you need to be able to manage those kind of interactions because those kind of interactions cause a great deal of stress and that stress is going to affect their well-being and people are going to burn out it's not just about their work it is about the emotional drain of um of the world as a whole and there's this sense of guilt at, at least uh, this is kind of how I've experienced it, is you look at all of this horrific stuff that's happening, which you have no control over, no direct control yeah. over, and you feel guilty because you just go, my God, people have 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 it so bad in, in certain mm-hmm. instances. And it's that survivor's guilt thing where you just think, well, actually, I've got, I've, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. I'm very, very lucky. I'm very, very privileged. And... I've got challenges, but they pale in comparison to other people's. And I think that a lot of people see these things and they feel guilt and they're like, what do I do about it? And then so they latch onto kind of uh, activism, but it's very short lived because they, they burn out because it, they, they are um, using up all their energy on on fighting these injustices. But then there's this other injustice and then they're like, oh, but what about this? And and uh, I, I, I worry for people's well-being um, when pursuing these very noble and necessary causes because it's mm-hmm. not beneficial for that cause if the people fighting for it end up burning out and end up unwell because they won't yeah. be able to continue that fight yeah I, I couldn't i couldn't agree more and it is it's finding ways to sit with our discomfort to use our anger in an activated way that isn't damaging to the physical immune system and that, you know, we're not ravaging our bodies through anger. We're using it to activate because again, another one, um, another part of our uh, sympathetic nervous system where stress and anxiety live is to take action, is to, you know, get us moving. Um, so yeah, it's, it's making sure that we can, have nervous systems approaches beliefs support systems that can help us do exactly what you're saying i feel like and and i did warn you about this 
when we started recording and I said, let's keep it short because, you know, we've used up so much time trying to get the kind of uh, technical stuff sorted, which is not just about your fancy headphones, but it was just in general, this is the first podcast back, um, my first recording um, in seven months. And so I was trying to, you know, get to grips with that myself. And I thought, right, let's keep it short because uh, we've used up some of the time already. But I said, I reckon that once we get going we could go on for a long long time <laughs> and so i'm hyper aware of that and you know we're approaching we're approaching the kind of that hour point and i, I think that i think that we've covered some really or we've only even just like scratched the surface of some really really uh powerful topics but i don't think unless this kind of goes to like a three-hour episode that we're ever going to be able to and we're, we're never going to come <laughs> yeah. to a conclusion because there is no conclusion this is a this is a you know it's people are we're all winging it and we're all just trying to do the best we can and we're all just trying to learn as we go um about ourselves about society about other people no one i believe that very, most people in fact i believe that everyone is inherently trying to do the best they can I, I genuinely believe that. I'm a massive optimist when it comes to human nature. I think that people are, even if we look at people and go, oh my God, they've got some absolutely heinous uh, viewpoints and, and their behaviours are absolutely despicable. They're not doing it because they think it's wrong and they want to be wrong. They're doing it because they think they're right. And and so that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the thing, isn't it? Is it's like you see these people and they just go, they genuinely believe that their viewpoint is right. They're not going, I know I'm wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And 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 so I don't think there's ever going to be. Well, at be least a, con- a part of them does anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what's really interesting is seeing how many conflicting beliefs we can hold within ourselves. Oh yeah. And what is shown at a particular time by a particular person is not actually representative of their whole humanity. So I I I, um, I match you with that optimism. If I'm seeing like a negative trait in somebody, especially from a trauma informed lens. You know, I'm I'm a lot less quick to judge. I'm a lot more curious yeah. and compassionate to be like, what is driving that, and what is the best way to meet that person without losing myself um, in a conversation. Yeah. And I think that's that's a, a a good space to to hold. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very it's a difficult space to hold as well, though. Um, so, yeah. what we'll finish with. What we'll finish with, and this is, again, similar to how I ended up all of the conversations in my first series, um, but with a slight difference. So I'm going to ask you two questions. What I usually asked in the first series was, what uh, if there was someone right now listening to this who wants to make some changes to their well-being um, and wants to improve things for themselves in terms of their fitness and their wellness, um, what would that piece of advice be? That's the first question. And then the second question is is the same, but for people who are in positions of leadership, positions of mm-hmm. um, where, where they've got a team, perhaps, you know, they're in a company of a couple of hundred people or maybe less, maybe more, who knows, but they are looking to help improve the well-being of their organization and the people that they are, they have a duty of care to, I believe. Um, so my question there is just one thing on each of those, from an individual perspective and from an organisational perspective, just one thing that is a step which could be taken, a practical step which could be taken um, for people in those two positions. Well, this may answer your question, or it may be like a really wishy-washy approach, but it's what I believe is my answer to your question. And it's the same for both of them, and it's compassion. 
but I'll give just a little bit of perspective of how it's used slightly differently for the individual and for somebody who is, you know, maybe managing a team or multiple systems or multiple teams. So as an individual, whenever we want to make changes, I'm going back to our friend, the nervous system, our nervous system likes to keep us safe. And if they perceive this particular change as a threat, it might be um, emotional discomfort, whatever it is, it might try and keep you safe by resisting. So if you're trying to make um, any changes towards your goals and you're finding resistance, instead of judging yourself, being like, oh, I know more, I shouldn't be drinking midweek, I shouldn't be doing this, like drop the should and replace it with some compassion because there's a reason why you're not moving forward and having that support from yourself and reaching out for support um, and areas where they can also offer you compassion and spaces to explore what those blocks are um, could be really, really powerful. And how it works in a team is, you know, I'm, I'm going with this very 90s kind of like liar, liar, Jim Carrey in a suit, angry boss kind of like vibe. Um, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure work isn't like that. I know. <laughs> Excellent movie. Um, but that kind of like corporate stance um, or teamwork or w- whatever, whatever we're looking at, we can sometimes get really blinded um, by our goals and our expectations. And if somebody hasn't met our expectations, we can have an emotional reaction to that. We can be frustrated. We can let down. We might question their competence. Again, if you're in a situation where you personally are having those feelings or your team members are having those feelings, it's bringing that compassion and trying to say, okay, what's going on here? And really just opening that space for curiosity, you know, not too dissimilar to the concept around difference of opinion. It's really just sitting and holding that space. As you say, it's a difficult space to hold when we're in like um, different emotional states or different uh, political opinions or whatever it is when 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 we're not in that really calm shared space it can be quite difficult but training ourselves and our nervous systems to sit in that space to ground bring some compassion and find a solution that works for all not one that is like a preconceived belief of well they should have done it I've done it when I was you know a newbie in my first five years I never left till till half nine at night it's like okay well that was your choice and that's what you did but is that really the best thing is that the, actually the culture that you want to promote or anything like that? So just, you know, bags of compassion. I love that. I really do. That's that's actually, I know you said at the start, you were like, I'm not sure whether this answers the question or not. It absolutely does. And I think that it's it's nice because it is, again, it's not it's not prescriptive. It's it's because uh, different people are going to show compassion in different ways, and it's more of a kind of like you said, yeah, maybe it's a bit wishy washy, but that is um, sometimes what's necessary. You need something which is accessible in that way to different people. Mm. You know, anyone, anyone listening to this can be more compassionate. Anyone listening to this can be more compassionate with themselves, which I think is great advice, by the way, because we're always, almost always, tougher on ourselves than we are on other people. Um, which is, you know, if we can step out of that and go, 
okay, if my if my friend was doing this, or if my friend was feeling like this, what would I say to them? What would, and it's just like, well, why am I not saying that to myself? So having compassion for yourself, and then also having compassion for uh, the other people that you that, that are in your team and in your organisation, and uh, indeed in society, anyone you come across, if we can have more compassion for people that we come across in everyday life. That can't be a bad thing. Call me a hippie if you want, but that's what I believe. <laughs> um, Sasha, it's been absolutely tremendous having you on for a chat. I knew it would be a good one. And, uh, you know, seeing as this is the first one that I'm recording back after seven months, it's been an absolute pleasure. And indeed, I pr- will probably put this as one of the first episodes um, that uh, that I release of the new series as well, because I think it's a really great place to start. Um, thank you so, so, so much, Sasha. Um, if people want to kind of follow you and what you do or kind of engage with you somewhere on the vast expanse of the internet, where's best for them to find you? Um, best to find me on Instagram at S-A-S-A Harper uh, but my name is spelt you already know this Jay but <laughs> it, people might think there's an H in there there yeah. is but only from a surname yeah on Instagram if people do have ADHD and they like memes they can find me also on Instagram at ADHD uh, meme. I think there's a hyphen in there or something. I think it's an underscore. But, um, I'll tell you what yeah. I'll do. I'll tell underscore. you what I'll do. Yeah, it's an underscore. I'll put both the links in the description of this episode. So if you're listening to this oh, uh, and you're listening to it on Spotify or Google Podcasts or Anchor or anything like that, you'll be able to click on those links and go straight to Sasha's profiles, both her kind of coaching page and her meme page, which is in fact how... Uh, how I first came across <laughs> Sasha was a meme page because because uh, of m- me and my ADHD and my love of memes. Uh, great page. Uh, so I'll put the link to both of those. Now, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, those links may not be clickable because um, Apple Podcasts doesn't like my clickable links apparently. But you'll just have to find them for yourself. Um, but the, if you if you if you want to connect with Sasha, those are the best places to do it, and I highly recommend it. Once again, Sasha, thank you so much for coming on, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thanks so much, Jay. It was an absolute pleasure. And I'll chat to you soon. Thank you for listening to Fit to Lead with me, Jay Unwin. If you're not already connected with me on LinkedIn, come and find me using the link in the podcast description and say hello. If you want me to help you improve the fitness and well-being of your team and of yourself, let's set up a call. Until next time, stay fit, stay well, and keep leading from the front.